Hello, and welcome to Philosophy Voiced, a podcast from the Center for Ethics as Study in Human Value, University of Pardubice, Czech Republic. With me today, I have Anthony Fredriksson and Hugo Strandberg. Just a few weeks ago, Anthony published a paper called Werner Herzog and the Documentaries as Revelatory Practice in a book called The Philosopher Werner Herzog, edited by Wilson and Turner and published on Lexington. So today we're going to talk a bit about Herzog and about the notion of documentary and about the relationship between film and philosophy. Now, perhaps it would be nice if you, Anthony, could begin by saying just a few words about who Werner Herzog is. So, yes, uh, Werner Herzog is a film, German filmmaker born in 1942 during the Second World War in Munich. And he started to make films sometimes in the early 60s. He started his own production company very early on. So he became an independent filmmaker and kind of had the means to do his films through his own production company. And he was part of the new wave of German cinema with the likes of uh, Fassbinder and Schlöndorf. And he produ- up till now he has produced something like 75 films as director. With his oeuvre covers everything from short films to documentaries to feature, feature length fiction films and you could perhaps say that he sticks out in all these categories that he goes into Um, it's hard to summarize what would be particular for Herzog because he he has made so so different forms of film but I think one thing you could say is that there's something in in his way of making films that always tries to investigate some kind of odd or extreme aspects of human experience. Uh, This is a common thread, whether we talk about documentaries or or his future-length fictive films. Um, Maybe the most well-known films are Fitzgerald from 1982, which was a feature-fiction film. He won the Palme d'Or from Cannes that year. And then in 2005, his documentary film Grizzly Man, uh, which also won a prize at, at Sundance Film, film Festival. Uh, these would be the most well-known, most well-received films of Werner Herzog, uh, still done in completely different decades, and one being a documentary, the other be, being a feature-length fiction film. But I think if you, if you want to pick out one aspect that uh, makes him stand out in cinema, it, it is that he always goes into these extreme human experiences or odd or eccentric characters, tell stories that are somehow uh, not close to a common experience of human life. So he, he sort of reveals these kind of narratives or stories that you're not used to or shows us things that are hidden or that we haven't seen before. Um, and this kind of thing you could, of course, say about many documentary film 
directors that they try to portray, portray, portray something new or something not before seen. But I think specific for Herzog is that he does this uh, more successfully or in a different way than many of his contemporaries. So his film projects are usually part of his, his life projects. Uh, for example, Fitzgeraldo, which was a huge production, is about a rubber baron in the Amazonas uh, who makes it his task uh, to transport a 350-ton river boat from one branch of the Amazon River to another over a hill in the middle of the jungle. And when you, when you see this sort of fiction film, you see uh, a very a particular person with a particular task, a challenging task and an eccentric task. But then Herzog himself did this uh, with his production team during making this film. So they actually moved physically with quite uh, primitive means uh, a riverboat from one branch of the Amazon River to another. And you can see a making of documentary where Herzog makes this completely mad effort <laughs> so so the, the so the story about the production of the film somehow follows the fiction narrative of the fiction film and this is i think particular for him he, he puts puts himself out there and, and makes these efforts that many filmmakers wouldn't take upon themselves and i think this is his method of of making film uh, the efforts involved in producing the film are shine through uh, the productions, whether we are talking about documentary or fiction film. And that makes this kind of storytelling or, or narrative that reveals things that we are not used to seeing or, or surprises us or uh, creates this sense of wonder. Um, that's what I think is particular for him. You might say that other directors, directors could do similar things, but at least he has made his sort of life work around this kind of method that's quite extreme. Yeah, thanks. Um, one thing that opens up a lot of questions, I think, is the fact that we are philosophers and, and um, Herzog is a filmmaker. Uh, but the edited collection um, that your paper is in is called Herzog's Philosophy. So there's a general question, I think, there about what the relationship between philosophy and film is. And there is also the question if and to what extent it makes sense of talking about filmmakers in general and then Herzog in particular as having a philosophy. What do you think? In the case of Herzog, um, it's obvious that he has philosophical ideas in certain respects, uh, so much more so than other directors. Um, so one very obvious example would be his film about Kaspar Hauser, um, which is about then... Yeah, the relation of nature and civilization, or at least people's ideas about that relation. And then there are scenes in that film uh, in which he had so quite obviously are making philosophical points. So, for example, there is a professor of logic meeting Kaspar Hauser. And um, this professor of logic is then supposed to investigate the so-called primitive mind. <laughs> uh, and he asks then questions um, about formal logic to to Kaspar Hauser. And Kaspar obviously answers in the wrong way, um, but what sort of comes out of that scene is 
Uh, not that Kaspar is the primitive man, but that the f- thinking of logicians are very primitive. Uh, and that's sort of a, sort of an obvious uh, example of Hegel wanting to make a, a philosophical point, which is quite close to um, philosophical writing. But then, of course, there are. That's just one example. Then I think that there are other aspects of Herzog's filmmaking, which is related to philosophy in one sense, but isn't about um, having a specific philosophical message or a specific philosophical um, thesis. Um, And when it comes to the relation of philosophy and film, I think there the most interesting things are to be found um, when when films are not sort of trying to make philosophical points and precisely by not make, trying to do that, they are philosophically relevant, but in a very different way uh, than uh, a philosophical paper is philosophically relevant. Now, I think you said something very important though, that, uh, I mean, there, there are various ways to think about this relationship. One is to say that, you know, philosophy happens in relationship to film when philosophers sit down and watch film and starts to write about them. Um, um, a, f- a second way would be the first one you mentioned about Kaspar Hauser. That, that's I think I don't think you said it, but it's a story about um, a boy that's brought up completely in isolation. So that's kind of, that's kind of the setting, the framing for for Hugo's comments. And then you have a logician come in and make remarks. That's that's kind of kind of different. You don't necessarily need a philosopher to decode that as it were to find the philosophy in it. Um, but I think the, the way that films are, as it were, unintentionally philosophical is extremely interesting and well worth thinking more about. But then there is the question of, you know, does the philosophy happen or come about when philosophers reflect on it or is it already there in the film? Yeah, perhaps one answer to that question would be that it depends, it, it depends or that it's neither in, it's not, it's sort of, it's both in the film and in the discussion of it or neither in the, sort of, it's the meeting of the film and the not necessarily a professional philosopher, but anyone thinking about the film. So the meeting of people thinking about films together and the film itself, um, that meeting gives rise to something that couldn't um, come about just if you had the film in isolation or if you just had these people meeting and t- talking in isolation. So I think that that kind of meeting and sort of and discussing the discussion about film. For me, that's the sort of most philosophically interesting. It's very rare that I see a film, and then as soon as I sort of have come to the end of the film, I know sort of what the philosophical yeah. lesson to be learned here is. Um, so the, the the learning process continues in the discussion with other people about yeah. the film. What do you think, Anthony? Yeah, well. I'm just thinking about the the premise of the the anthology, the philosophy of Werner Herzog was explicitly that Herzog is uh, having this explicitly complicated relationship to film theory or philosophy. Mm-hmm. So he, he he claims specifically in many interviews that he doesn't read what is written about his films by theoreticians or, or reviewers or philosophers. Uh, he's not interested in philosophical discussions or about film in general. Then on the other hand, in his films, he quotes Pascal and he quotes Nietzsche. And he, yeah. he has this sort of uh, 
existential questions as a backdrop to, to what he actually tries to achieve with his films. Uh, and then, then you have to sort of understand that, the, that this, he plays some kind of adversarial role in relation to theory and, and philosophy, but he is at the same time uh, explicitly influenced by reading uh, even philosophy, but also history and literature and so forth. But, but they, they're not in any sense void of philosophy, uh, but there's something that he doesn't like about mixing filmmaking with theory. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think we also have to sort of interpret him and not give him the last words in these discussions that uh, he, he should make films, he doesn't need to write essays about <laughs> them, but I'm going to write essays about his films despite of what he thinks. So uh, there's things to be teased out in his films that are out of philosophical nature, I think if you dig deep into them. Yeah, and perhaps also that Herzog is quite unreliable when it comes to him talking about him, his own life or the production of his films. So there is some kind of self-mythologization <laughs> taking place there. Um, so he says that he doesn't read that much. To what extent that is true is another question. Um, so and perhaps he is also a bit paradoxical in that regard. That on the un un one hand, he has this sort of almost anti-intellectual side to himself, sort of um, emphasizing that uh, to make to be a good filmmaker, you need sort of yes, physical stamina. That's the most important thing. You don't need to learn anything theoretically or even practically for that matter too. Um, on the other hand, I think many of his, especially his films from the 70s, would be completely impossible to to understand without um, sort of the German romanticists something in the background. So of course he he uh, is part of a specific intellectual tradition, much more so than many other film directors, even though he himself wants to portray, him, portray himself as not being an intellectual at all. Yeah. I think there is a connection between what Hugo said first and, and Anthony's comment. Um, I mean, one way to think about how philosophy comes into film is to say that, well, you have to find it, you know, the, philosophy, the author had to put it there in order for us to see it, otherwise it doesn't count, which seems to me to be a bad idea and go against what, what Hugo said. Uh, and the same thing would be with Herzl, you know, his films would be, you know, philosophical. If, if we can show that it had the philosophical ambition to discuss things in philosophy, but I think that what unites the, these two comments is, is the, is the it, it's, it's not an either-or question, uh, right? That, you know, when, we, when a philosopher looks at a film or watches a film and starts working with it and starts talking by, about it, the only thing he or she can do is obviously to point to the film and say that this is what happened and follow that and then try to give reason for it. Uh, and th those are the kinds of things that you can't do without the film. Um, you can't just do it. Uh, or if you could, you know, Thinking about film would be pointless, but so there is a sense in, in which the, that interdependence, I think, is is one of the ways that uh, it makes sense to talk about film itself as as being philosophical. But it, of course, it requires that someone does something with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, and also related to what Anthony said in the introduction, also that Herzog's ambition to show something that hasn't been shown before. Mm. Uh, that also means that it's something that cannot easily be put into words. So it's not like Herzog himself already before making the film knows what the point is, and now he just makes a film yeah. about it. So the film itself is just strange to ev everyone, including Herzog himself. Um, which means then that the film doesn't sort of make a point that could be easily formulated, but on the other hand, that makes them also interesting to think about, precisely because they are so enigmatic. Yeah, and I think that if you ask this question, can films do or be philosophy? Uh, I think it's clear they can and they do, uh, but also, as Hugo says, um, it's a different language. Uh, in written language, you can do certain things which which you cannot do in audiovisual, filmic language, and vice versa. So, for example, I say if you talk about specifically Herzog's films, that it's clear that they they put forth existential questions. They're very good at that, and film language is very good at this open-ended pointing and questioning and revealing things that are worth thinking about or confound us, then maybe not uh, as good at doing a very strict uh, conceptual analysis of, of what it, these questions, how they should be answered or what, what they mean and so forth. I mean that you can do better in a philosophical academic essay, but it's, uh, I think it is open-ended, it's not of of film that caters to philosophy, whereas uh, written academic prose caters to, to some other things which are also important for philosophy, but there, there's different strengths in, the, in, in audiovisual film language and, and written academic prose. Yeah, I think we should also keep in mind, it's a fairly young idea that philosophy shouldn't be open-ended you know mm -hmm. that, that you know if you go back to plato's dialogues or kierkegaard's pseudonymic writings or um augustine's prayers i mean they don't follow the patterns of you know uh, here's the start i begin with the premise here are my arguments and then here's the conclusion so mm -hmm. i take it that you know the whole idea of philosophy being something opposed to something open-ended is a relatively young idea and that's also i think worth thinking about um, Hugo, you also mentioned that you know he, he doesn't know in advance where the film is going to take him. Now, for somebody who's known for making lots of documentaries, that might sound a bit strange, right? You know, if you make a documentary, you're trying to portray what happened, right? And in that case, it would be surprising if the the director is caught by surprise lots of a lot of the times. Now. So that kind of raises the question: What is a documentary, and how what's Herzog's specific take on that question. Yeah, I think that's uh, the, the role of the docu documentary is very uh, complicated. Um, of course, the concept has a history. Uh, mm. And it's not easy to, to make clear distinction or, or clear-cut distinctions between documentary film and, and fiction film. And I think Herzog's uh, work proves this point, so he, he doesn't make that distinction very clearly. He, he makes both documentaries and fictions. And when you look at them, 
they're still very particularly Herzog films. Um, but from my perspective, I, I sort of caught on to this idea of, of the revelatory. Uh, something is shown or revealed in documentary. Uh, and the status of what is revealed, if it is a documentary, is different than if a fiction film reveals something. Because fiction is more clearly created than, than documentary film. In, in documentary film, something can be revealed and I, I cannot for, mo- for a moment doubt that this exists somewhere in some real situation or context. And that makes, uh, I think, the experience of watching a documentary film uh, phenomenologically different from watching a fiction film. I'm not saying this, I'm not sure if, if this is correct even, but, <laughs> but there's something about, uh, something is revealed to me and I don't doubt that this exists in a real situation in the world uh, that makes documentary film exciting for me as a viewer. Uh, you, kind of, you kind of leave out the notion of representation, and I think that's worth thinking about. Yeah, kind of. Well, for example, I mean, um, and this is particular, perhaps particularly true about Herzog's way of filming that you know, um, he he's not. I mean, he has this. Um, he opposes the idea, let's say, of the cameras being just a mere recorder that just registers events. That so he, it's kind of clear that he's plotting things, even though he's doing documentary, and the camera's not there to just record things. And I mean, sometimes in order to make a good documentary, you need to have actors instead of real persons in order to get it right, as it were. And that kind of blurs the the distinction further. Yeah, and also I think that the the distinction is blurred also from the other directions. So uh, many of his fiction films Mm. are actually, they contain in some sense documentary, perhaps not material, but sort of aspects to it. Uh, so, for example, he often has uh, amateur actors in them, uh, and not just amateur actors, but also people who are quite complicated. Um, so, making this one example here would be um, Stroshek, which is one of his 70s films, in which I think all the actors, except for Stroshek's girlfriend, is amateurs and also quite complicated characters, which then means that. The film itself is partly sort of a documentary about these people, even though it's staged, it's partly a documentary about the actor playing in some sense himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and also when when they are done in the end, in the second half of the film, they make a road uh, trip in the United States and there they just stumble across different things. Uh, so it's not planned from Herzog's. Um, point. They just stumble across certain things and Herzog takes them, them let, lets them be part of the movie. Um, and one thing also which has to do with it, which Herzog often emphasizes in co- when commenting on his own film, that he himself does not know why this is in the film. He just felt that uh, this was something that had to be in the film, or that a specific take needs to be much longer than it would sort of normally be in a film. And he doesn't know why he has says that it has to be like that. 
Um, so even in the fictional films, there are an element of um, yeah, surprise to Herzog in that sense. Not, not, not everything is planned. And what's, what, what enters into the film is something that, of course, he decides that it, that it should be part of the film, being the director, but still he doesn't know why he makes those decisions. So in, that also shows that there are some unplanned element unplanned the element to it mm. in sim, similarly to the way in which a documentary filmmaker stumbles across different things and so fiction and documentary here are the, the documentary films are more fiction now than many other documentary films but also the other way around yeah and i think that's that's a good point exactly this uh invitation of the unexpected uh, mm -hmm. that he sort of welcomes the unexpected uh, the unscripted things as they uh, evolve in situations or, or this what what these actions that he does in producing a film what they invite uh, these out from the world uh, so Things happen that are not scripted, uh, and I think this—I mean, in my mind, this caters also to to sort of bigger aesthetical discussion. What should philosophical aesthetics make of this? One very clear thing that I thought of in the intro about this riverboat that plays a part in a Fitzgeraldo, but then there's a documentary about. Herzog doing the same thing as his fictional character does, but he does it in, in the context of the film production. And it caters to this question of representation. I mean, the most classical aesthetic theory of Plato. Uh, the iconoclasm of Plato is based on the idea that the artist lacks the experience that, for example, a flute player can play a flute uh, artists can play the flute without knowing how to play the flute or a, mm -hmm. uh, a sailor, sailor has to know how to navigate the ship whereas an artist can play the ship without any of this knowledge of, of what it is to sail and what it is to navigate and so forth. In Herzog's case, I mean he, he moved the damned river boat <laughs> from one river to the other in the middle of of a rainforest, uh, so you couldn't say that he lacks. He he only represents what's seen by the viewer in the fiction film. He, his actions were part of of the effort that that we see, and he he cannot have this sort of detached detached role of of only representing or only depicting. He's always immersed in these actions that 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 we see, on the, or not always, but more so than, than we are accustomed to by, by looking at films and how the directors produce films. Mm. Yeah, one, another example of this is uh, one of his strangest films, uh, at least uh, from those I have seen. It's Heart of Glass from 1976, I think, uh, in which all the main um, actors are hypnotized uh, during the filming. And here you could sort of imagine that this is sort of the, the dictatorial um, 
director because now he decides everything. He has total control. But that's not at all the case because what happens is, of course, that these actors act in an extremely strange way. They come up with lines which uh, wasn't there in the, in the script and, and so on and so forth. <laughs> so the attempt here at wanting to control this, 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 the filming leads to the exact opposite that um, and from when viewing that film the sort of that's obviously the idea you get that this is uh, something that no one involved in this film had any um, idea of sort of beforehand um, um, so and that sort of both goes in the direction that Anthony pointed to that the he's part of the, the situation himself is not standing outside and looking in um, and um, also that sort of the, the line between fiction and documentary here is blurred because um, the actor are not representing something that is there already beforehand but mm. the, the very experience of, of playing is um, is um, yeah, it's sort of documented in a certain sense here. Yeah. I mean, we live in a time where we have cameras that actually do merely record. Mm -hmm. uh, we call it surveillance, right? Um, and it's not something to be watched, I take it. It doesn't, it doesn't become a film just because it's filmed, as it were. And, and the other times in which you put up a camera or a record the audio of, say, a philosophy seminar, it doesn't become a documentary, it just becomes a, a record, as it were. Mm. Uh, so something definitely seems to happen with the material when you, when you start thinking about it in terms of documentary. And one thing that happens is that the camera plays a much more active role than surveillance does, you know. The surveillance camera is precisely meant to not interfere, it's just to be there to record. Uh, but when you make a documentary, you know, the ca camera and the fact of the camera seems to play a much more decisive role. Uh, so it's kind of inevitable to make something of a situation that differs from how it would be without the camera. So um, what do you think are the ethical and epistemological implications of this? Yeah, again, I, uh, the question takes, takes many directions. Um, because there's something, there's always some aspect of the recording nature of the camera that is important, but the idea that it would be pure recording or, or completely unintentional because of the camera's recording objective qualities, uh, I think that's a mistake, that's a philosophical mistake, but then on the other hand there's always some aspect of a film recording that is not there intentionally. And in Herzog's films we see somebody who sort of cherishes this even though we have said quite rightly that he manipulates situations, he takes in actors in, in documentary films, he, he's highly sort of uh, has some sense of control of what's going on. But on the other hand, here is a weird paradox because his, uh, his control is usually intended to get a result that cannot be... Uh, predicted. So it's not that he goes in with a very um, clear script and clear intention of what he wants to end up on the film. He goes in with some vague 
manipulative ideas to end up with something that's un- unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> and th- in that, there you need a camera. I d- I'm not sure how you could do this, for example, in writing. I mean, there was automatic writing was one of technique that was used to bring out the unconsciousness of the writer and so forth, or something that <laughs> the writer doesn't intentionally uh, put on paper. The, like modern art has this capacity or this yeah. this idea is carried by modern art uh, in many ways that that art should uh, bring out something that I'm not as an artist aware of. That's that's just sort of uh, it's a means of investigation and it's based on an idea that the artwork is not a finished project. It's it's something that teases out something that's unexpected. Mm. Uh, but uh, just one thing about the camera, I mean, the camera is a very good tool to do this because it has this recording capacity. So this said, uh, still uh, surveillance camera recording is not interested, interesting, but putting put in the right context one frame or one sequence from a, from a, from a surveillance camera, yeah. camera can be very interesting and very morally or epistemologically <laughs> important for but it it requires some context, uh, and we cannot have one without the, the other. They always have to interact somehow. Yeah, and one thing that makes films different from other media is that, um, as a writer, of course you sort of are dependent on other people, um, so you are not so, so completely isolated. But still, um, you have quite a large you have some kind of control of your own writing uh, whereas in filmmaking you are depending on other people to a much higher degree so there are the actors there is the in Herzog's case he's not the director of photography so there is a cameraman mm-hmm. and so on and so forth which means that here um, it's much more of a sort of a the, the artwork is much more um, in that sense of a moral nature in the sense that many people are involved and the relations between them are part of the artwork itself. Um, whereas, and that goes, goes to, of course, to a certain extent for every kind of mm. art. But in film, it makes it becomes much more um, prominent that very fact that here we have a group of people making something together, which no one of them could have done just on their own. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that, I mean, Herzog himself kind of thematizes the presence of the camera. I mean, one illustrative example is obviously Grizzly Man, where he large portion of the films are are not filmed by him at all, but by Timothy Treadwell that, that uh, spent time among bears. Uh, and he's using his photography in making the documentary. And of course, this is, you know, he uses a lot of clips where, where Timothy talks about how he looks in front of the camera. So the camera is constantly, you know, it's talked about and it's made into a problem in the film itself. And I also got to think about this scene where, where um, uh, Timothy is, you know, looks like he's finished the clip, but then a fox comes running in. And you can hear Werner Herzog, you know, he, he gets completely enthusiastic about this. This is such a wonderful moment, something unexpected happened. And, you know, the fox walks up to the camera. And so it kind of, you know, you can see how he constantly works with the presence of his own camera. I, mean, I think that's kind of an interesting feature of this film. 
Yeah, and also related to that, the question of montage or cutting yeah. here, because one thing that has sort of a critical take on the film Grizzly Man is that um, Herzog is portraying Timothy Treadwell in a very, um, yeah, with this very specific um, point of view. Um, so whether that this is sort of a, a truthful portrayal of Treadwell or not is sort of a, it's an open question. Uh, and that is then done by Herzog by montage. So, of course, the films which are there, which Treadwell himself has filmed, yeah, there are they are real clips. But mm. then, how you use them in the context of the film as a whole is then an epistemological or an ethical question. Um, so, what kind of uh, pieces you choose and what yeah. how you place them in relation to other things and so on. Um, so it's not only the camera, but also what you do with the film, film material. Hmm. Yeah, but I think these kind of questions are usually made against the backdrop that one should think of the documentary or the camera or the photographic image as somehow neutral. Yeah. Whereas it is never. It's that's not the right concept for for what the camera does. I mean, it, there's something right about it. It, it's, it is a recording device, but it's not neutral. Uh, and the context uh, is always there. It's, the context is always required for us to understand what's going on in the first place. Uh, uh, so, and I think uh, Herzog plays very, as Nicholas said, very, very consciously with this idea. I, I remember another film, it's called Little Dieter Needs to Fly. It's about the German pilot who took part in the Vietnam War for the US. Uh, so he flew bomb raids over Vietnam and was mm -hmm. shot down. And then he had this adventure in the jungle and was captured by the Viet Cong and sat, sat in a jail camp for, for a long time and managed to escape and his heroic journey out of uh, imprisonment. But then this Dieter is interviewed in his house in California and, and Herzog, you see these sequences when, when this Dieter, he opens doors and closes them. He opens the front door of his house and closes it again and goes into his car and opens the car door and closes it. And does this repetitively all, all the time. This is seen in the film. And Herzog tells the audience that that he's so Dieter is so traumatized by being imprisoned. So now when he has the chance to sort of be free, he has to some make a ritual around this. So he can, he knows that he intentionally can open and close his own doors. Yeah. And he celebrates this by, by doing this ritual thing. And then you can read in an interview that this was not an idea that this <laughs> Dieter came up with. It was something that Herzog sort of uh, had this subject uh, play out in the film. So it was complete um, manipulative gesture from Herzog's side to explain something about these ex-prisoners of traumatized war prisoners' psychology by staging these weird ritualistic uh, actions in the film. And then you can discuss that is this... Um, what is the ethics of this? I mean, of course, this um, character agreed to do this and 
probably thought that, yeah, it makes sense. We want to portray that I have been a prisoner and now I celebrate my freedom. And we do it with this very primitive filming means of having lots of shots of me opening and closing doors. Uh, if you would think that documentary is about neutrality and non-engagement of the director and uh, the recording camera solely, this would be an infringement on, on this character. But, I mean, they probably had a discussion. Could yeah. we portray it like this? And they agreed. So they made some reality that was not there from the start, but it's, it was still a sort of a result from, from the meeting between these two people and not the objective recording of, of this person's life or so forth. So he breaks these boundaries, but, and it's important to discuss what happens when these boundaries are broken. They, it can be amoral or immoral. Uh, but it cannot. It can be a cinematic mean that yeah. explains something that wouldn't be explained otherwise for us. So. I mean, no, I think it makes sense to talk of, oh, sorry, okay. I, mean, uh, I think it makes sense of, of, of talking about this as at least two, uh, as it were, ethical uh, um, questions in play at once. One is Herzog's relationship to, to his actor or to, his, uh, to the person he's... Uh, describing or trying to capture in the film whether or not he's true to that person and another question I think is to know you know ask whether he is as being true to the concept of imprisonment you know if he's, he's if he's he, if he wants to highlight these features that you know this is a person that now can open and close doors and then he's being true to the concept of imprisonment and, and perhaps managed to show something about that um, so there are, as it were, at least two ethical dimensions in play, I think, in, in those kinds of scenes. You were saying yeah, yeah, no, I think that there also is an aspect of sort of the film itself and the critical discussion of it. Um, yeah. So I think that the mistake is often made, not in the film, but in what people are saying about the film. Mm-hmm. Um, not being aware of the fact that certain things are staged and then discuss it as if it would be... Uh, just sort of a, a documentary in the strict sense of the word. So the film itself by, might be totally unproblematic, whereas, um, but then the responsibility lies on the viewer um, to think critically about what it is. Then on the, on the course in The Grizzly Man, one thing that is more complicated there is, of course, that Timothy Treadwell is dead. Um, so here there cannot be an uh, aspect of Herzog in cooperation with Treadwell, thinking about how his experience should be uh, portrayed. Uh, so here it is Herzog himself who decides that this is um, this is how it should be done, uh, whereas Treadwell himself has no say. So that's that's a situation which is a bit a bit more complicated. But generally, I would say that the the, the important aspect is not what happens in the film in isolation, but what happens in the discussion of it yeah. and how we viewers think and talk about what we have seen. But the fact that Treadwell is dead doesn't mean that, you know, the question of whether or not Herzog is true to Treadwell, it doesn't disappear. No, no, it is no exactly. Time. I think that in a sense it, it makes it even more important to ask yeah, that question. Yeah. Um, no, but I think it also... I mean, this discussion also caters to some uh, philosophical blind spots. Uh, 
I'm still thinking of this detail or just a general idea that the best portrayal of uh, this person's psychology or faith would be not to not to manipulate the person, not to engage with the person, not to 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 somehow have this have this uh, portrayal of this Dieter or Timothy Treadwell that solely would come from the subject that is portrayed. Mm-hmm. But of course, we we are not truest to ourselves when we are isolated from engagement with whom we are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it. A, a true, a, 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 if we wanted to talk about a true self or true portrayal, I mean, we are always engaged with each other in some way or another, whether we acknowledge it or not. So, I mean, I think what Herzog does, does very clearly, he acknowledges this engagement and this relationality mm-hmm. in his films, whereas many other documentarists would not do it. They would see it as an ethical uh, breaking of some ethical uh, principle to manipulate too much or engage too much with the subject but this is again a tricky question i mean i'm I'm sure there are examples where where documentarists actually do horrible things both ways stay too too detached from their subject or are too engaged in them but but Mm -hmm. the the question is not this clear-cut border that sometimes can be breached and then you can say have avoided about the morality of of this engagement it's it's more complicated than that yeah, yeah perhaps the question to be asked is what kind of engagement is it not yes. whether there is one or not yes. uh, but that some kinds of engagement is the wrong way to go in a specific case yeah. yeah but then the opposite to that is not no engagement but another form of engagement yeah i was thinking a bit about also um on the one hand, we have his fascination. I think that you know, <laughs> you know, he's making films, and, and it, it, he seems to be occupied a lot between what is usually not in the films. You know, what happens before and after the the designated clip seems to be of equal relevance as what's in the clip. So it kind of he kind of enti- always shows us, you know, that film is film. Okay, uh, we touched about a question about. Um, um, He's him intervening with uh, his uh, the objects, as it were, that he's filming. Um, and Herzog has a, <laughs> seems to me a very personal way of thinking about this, especially in in relationship to interviews, for example. Um, I mean, when he's interviewing, he seems very far from a neutral observer. And what do you think about that? I mean, I can give you one example, if you want, from, from Grizzly Man, where he he has this clip. He has come over this material, and, and the final recording he has is audio only of the death of, of Treadwell. And we can see uh, Herzog from behind listening to this, and one of, of Timothy Treadwell's closest friends watching Herzog listening to this. And then after a while, he puts the phone, headphones down, and he says, you should never listen to this. You need to destroy this. So he's telling the, you know, Travel's closest friend what to do with this material. So you know, this is how you must act now. It, that's clearly not just recording something. She's he's literally telling a woman what to do with a very sensitive material of a, an extremely close friend of hers. 
Yeah, and a question there is also, which I have been asking myself, is whether this recorded material actually exists. So one interpretation of that scene, this is of course speculation, but is that this is a stage scene. Uh, there yeah. is no recording of Treadwell's death, uh, but Herzog thinks that this would be a very telling uh, thing to have in the, in the film, namely that he listens, uh, seems to be listening to something and then says that this, this should be uh, destroyed. Mm. Um, uh, but no matter what sort of, um, how, um, this could then be interpreted in many different ways. But the point is then that no matter how you interpret it, it is, as you say, um, yeah, a very close uh, engagement with this woman, um, yeah. either telling her, her to destroy it or making her part of this uh, uh, stage um, scene. Um, but don't you think it would be very, very odd? And, and I mean, like this question, this is a question about how to treat, you know, the people you engage in a film ethically or not. You know, would it be very odd to pretend to listening to her best friend's death? Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> why I say, say this is that there are quite many examples of this in Hagstrup's film where yeah. he says that there is some material which he doesn't want to be in the film. So there are often that kind of gesture and. In some, some cases, he might have that kind of material, but I would be quite surprised if this would always be something that he sort of, that he was, yeah. oh yeah, that there, there, there are, I guess, sometimes at least, material which he says he has, which isn't, um, which isn't real. I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if Hugo was right about <laughs> there not being material of Timothy Treadwell being eaten by a grizzly bear. Uh, I don't know the facts here, but but as you say, the, the, there's something about this gesture uh, Herzog in his own films pointing to some reality that exists somewhere and can be seen but should not be seen. And he, him, mm. he making this gesture that there are things that should not be revealed. There are, there, there's another film called White Diamond that... Uh, is an expedition in French Guyana. They fly around with a, with a balloon and, and film the forest and a, wa and a waterfall, a magnificent waterfall. And there's this Indian tribe or native tribe living next to the waterfall that has this mythology of, of something existing behind this mass of water. And then Herzog claims that he makes these experiments about filming like balloons flying past the waterfall, filming into it, and some yeah. some climber climbs <laughs> down there, and they claim that one of the climbers got some material from behind this mass of water, and he again has this same that should not be shown because it would destroy the mystery of this mythology of of the natives who live there and. If there would exist something, it's probably just rocks. I mean, it's, it's, it's probably not very filmic and it wouldn't be very f interesting to see it on film, but he creates this mystery. And also this discussion about what can and should be revealed and what should not be revealed, which I think is ethically interesting, even in these quite peculiar cases of his. Mm. Yeah, and quite generally, there is, of course, an important point that the film 
uh, is defined by what's not in in the film. Yeah. So, uh, in any in any kind of film you are making, whether it's a documentary or a fiction film, there are material which you choose not to have in it, uh, and that is of course a choice that you have to make. And uh, it's not an ethical quest, uh, sort of a question in all cases, but quite often it will be. Um, so. Yeah, but it, yep. it remains a fact that yep. you know every clip means that something's been left yep. out yep. for some reason. Um, so we talked a lot about documentary and, and a little bit about feature films. And I think one of the questions we've been circling around, but not necessarily treated, is the question about truth. And one would perhaps be inclined to say that if you make a documentary, the question of truth. Is central, but whereas you're making a feature film, the question of truth might not be. Or uh, I think that's a too simplistic distinction. But I, I, I would want to hear what you think about it. Yeah, I agree that it's too simplistic. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the question should be complicated somehow. Yeah. Uh, I think one thing that complicates the question is that. Uh, the documentary, um, I mean, still by the through its history, through the history of the concept and so forth, it has some kind of epistemolo epistemological role uh, mm. that I think we should not lose completely. We should not say that fiction and documentary is the same thing. But on the other hand, I, I think we cannot make sort of genres out of this and say that this specific documentary film is completely <laughs> documentary and this specific fiction film is complete fiction. Uh, there's aspects that are true in fiction that might have a bit of a different nature of truth than docu documentary truth, but I don't know, I'm, I'm at a loss now, maybe Hugo can help No, but perhaps one thing that we should connect to here is what Herzog himself is saying about these issues. Um, so, in this Minnesota Declaration, he talks about poetic or ecstatic truth. And now, Anthony, you might correct me here, but as I understand it, that is specifically uh, about documentaries. Um, yeah. Even though you can, of course, say that aiming at poetic or ecstatic truth is something that you could aim at also in fiction so at least that kind of understanding of truth doesn't seem to me to be only applicable in the case of documentaries but still um, what um, Herzog is after here is is truth so he's not sort of saying that that is sort of an uninteresting concept to use so it is important, but it's another kind of truth than just getting the facts right. Um, but exactly what that is, is a bit enigmatic. Um, so I cannot say that I have a clear idea exactly what he means. Um, but I think it has something to do with this fact, sort of engagement, which we have been mm. emphasizing here, that um, by engaging, you will create a situation which wouldn't be there if you wouldn't be there as a filmmaker. So you are creating something that isn't there from the start. Uh, but that's what which you create then. Um, will, if everything 
is successful um, give rise to something which then would be an ecstatic or poetic truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so the truth here is, is um, yeah, the film is true if it uh, succeeds in showing those seeing the film something which is new to them. Um, but that thing need not be something which would be there independently of the film. Yeah, I think we can ask, this might be a very good place as it were to close the circle because I remember we began this uh, discussion by uh, Anthony saying something about uh, how uh, film has a capacity to reveal things to us. I think that was one of your formulations. And I, I, I think we should listen to two of uh, the paragraphs from the Minnesota Declaration that you just mentioned, Hugo. Uh, these are points four and five, and this is Harrison uh, um, then saying this. Four, fact creates norms, truth, illumination. Five, there are deeper strata of truth in cinema, and there is such a thing as poetic, ecstatic truth. It is, myster- it is mysterious and elusive, and can be reached only through fabrication and imagination and stylation. I think that <clears throat> these two paragraphs kind of points directly to the idea of, of uh, a notion of truth that is not de- you know, not entirely disconnected from um, fabrication and imagination, um, but it reveals something, and he wants to call it poetic and ecstatic. And what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, one what does it yeah, show? No, no, the one, uh, one way of taking it would be that what he is after is... Um, now again, perhaps this is just to use other forms of abstractions. I don't know to what extent this clarifies anything, but that he is interesting in sort of the meaning of uh, certain things. So um, it's not enough uh, just to show that certain things have happened. What we need to understand is what what these things means to someone. Um, so. In the case of Timothy Treadwell, um, the very fact that he has been eaten by bears, that's not what interests Herzog. What he is interested in, sort of what it's, what this might sort of convey to us um, about human existence, or yeah. Yeah, in this case, not only human existence, but sort of existence as such. And, and by looking at these things uh, and then stylize them in a certain sense then something more than the facts will will reveal itself to us but exactly how to understand that is exactly as Herzog himself says quite elusive um, uh, but I think that quite generally this is an important philosophical distinction to make that um, the same situation can be understood in very different ways depending on where you sort of enter into it. Um, mm-hmm. So you can listen to two people speaking in a bus and whether you know these people or not, you will understand what they are saying in very different ways. And there are forms of better and worse understanding here and films and art for that matter. Uh, generally, might is one way of of uh, coming to a deeper understanding of what is going on uh, in uh, in life. Um, so I think something like that is what he's aiming at, but um, yeah. perhaps you have something to say about it too. I mean, you said somewhere in an interview also to, to sort of exemplify this, this 
tenet or claim about ecstatic truth in opposition to what he calls an accountant truth and to this factual or veridical. He says that the, the New York phone book can tell me where John Smith lives and what his phone number is, but it cannot tell me what John Smith dreams at night. Which is again, I mean, mystifying this question perhaps more. No. But but there's something. There's some facts can tell you an answer. If I ask you how old are you or what is your name, and I mean the answer is a fact, but discussion ends there. It's sort of that question is settled. But then our questions about truth cannot have that form. I think because the there's something to be examined, there's something to be understood, there's some meaningfulness there, and which uh, it's annoying to use the, the word open-ended, but there's at least some kind of trajectory in, 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 in this poetic truth that questions are not settled by facts, they, they, they have to be settled some, some other way, or not even settled, they have to be investigated and and if you talk about poetic truth, it, it gets it it uh, shines a light on reality or a perspective on reality that we are not familiar with or we haven't maybe discovered before. Uh, that's more a opening up of the question, not closing it down, perhaps. Yeah, yeah perhaps this way of talking would be make even more sense in the case of fiction. So. And perhaps a good example here would be when Herzog gets as far away uh, from naturalism as he ever gets. So again, referring to this film, um, Heart of Glass, which is sort of its strangeness through and through. So if, um, if you would use uh, the concept of truth defined in, yeah, as count and truth, as, as um, Herzog uses, then this film would be discarded because mm. of, obviously it has nothing to do with truth in that sense. Um, okay, but when the, what does this film do then? Yeah, one might say that it's just entertainment, um, but that's not what Herzog wants it to be. He wants the film to show something to us. Um, and if he is successful, then, then this will show us something, but it cannot be that, that the facts are as they are in the film, because they obviously are not. Um, so it has something to do with that, what, we, uh, what, we, what we come to see through the film. But what that is uh, will obviously be very dif difficult to spell out in any other language than the filmatic language itself. Yeah. Uh, even though commentary might um, might, help. might help, obviously. Mm. I mean, it also connects, I think, to one of the first things Anthony also said that there is some some attention to detail and, and things that you know things that are there, but that we not don't normally think about necessarily. Mm. So it's bringing something that's always present to us that that we don't pay attention to it. So he's directing our attention to some, some details in order to help us see a broader notion of what's real and what's true, perhaps. Uh, a very simplistic example would be to say that you can say that it's a fact that this man was released from prison. 
that itself doesn't you know show us anything much but you know if you can help just you know a long series of clips where you see a man that's now able to open and close doors uh, you don't have to say anything more than that but it shows much more than what, what it means to be released from prison than just saying that this man is now released from prison yeah yeah and i think in philosophy there's ways of conceptualizing this i mean one way is to say that truth and facts is about the what what do i see and yeah. the factual answer can can give me a sufficient answer i see a couple i see whatever but then there's the how how do i see this which is not answerable by giving a fact yeah uh, how do i see a prisoner who has been sitting in a mud pit for two years and now is free i mean it's the facts will not give me the the sense of what is going on here exactly and it seems very strange that philosophy should reuse itself to uh, and its own understanding of truth in relationship to the first category (laughs) which seems obviously seems so much more narrow yeah yeah all right i think we're running out of time i want to thank you both Uh, i'm nicholas we have hugo anatomy with us and behind us is uh, find patrick keenan who's been kind enough to record us and take care of the sounds for us. That's it. Thank you. Thank you.